Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we are continuing our study this morning through the book of Exodus. If you've been with us for a while or joining us online, you'll know that we've kind of walked uh, verse by verse, really chapter by chapter through our study. And we've come to this very interesting place. God at this point has done miraculous things. He's led the children of Israel out of captivity through a series of plagues. He's led them through the Red Sea. He's led them in their wandering in the wilderness. He's directed their path, and now he's brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai where he's going to give them the law. And so this is a very pivotal point for us in our study very important point for us in our study, a point that we look back on really throughout the Old Testament and through the New Testament is God just doing great things in the life of his people. But the Ten Commandments are important, not only for Christianity, but even in the secular world. In fact, a lot of people would say the Ten Commandments are the greatest set of laws ever given. In fact, just so you'll know, in our nation's capital, if you've ever been to Washington, D.C., you go into the chamber of the House of Representatives, there's a picture, put that up, it's actually a relief uh, carving of Moses. In fact, there are 23 lawgivers throughout history that are found in the chambers of the House of Representatives all along the top carved into the walls as a reminder of the lawgivers throughout history. Moses is right in the middle, and I love that our our country at least was founded on Christian principles, right? I'm not sure where we are now. That's maybe another story for another day. But I love the fact that Moses is at the center of all that, but they get one thing wrong, and it's a minor thing. Moses did bring the law down from the mountain, and he did present it to the people. But Moses wasn't the ultimate lawgiver. It was the Lord, Right? He gave the law. And so as we kind of walk through the story of Exodus, we're to the point now, he's going to give the law to his people. Now, here's what's going to happen. We're going to spend a lot of time over the next many weeks delving into some detail. I'm not quite sure yet how quickly we're going to get through. We're going to spend a lot of time in the Ten Commandments, walking through, thinking through, understanding them in detail. But this morning is going to be more of a 30,000-foot view, big picture. What do the Ten Commandments mean? Why are they important to us? Now, it's interesting when you kind of do some research on the Ten Commandments, and you can go kind of do this on your own. If you were to Google the Ten Commandments, certainly you would see the Ten Commandments that we're going to study this morning. But there are all sorts of opinions and ideas out there about the Ten Commandments. In fact, there are people that have kind of rewritten the Ten Commandments based on modern culture. And I found a few that I thought were interesting that might kind of help you understand at least where we're going and better understand how the world outside of Christianity views this. There's a book, The Day America Told the Truth, by James Patterson and Peter Kim, and they kind of give a picture of the postmodern view of the Ten Commandments. Here are just a few of the rules that they've come up with in their book that they say would better fit modern times. Here's the first one. I don't see the point in observing the Sabbath. There are a lot of people that say that. 
I will steal from those who won't really miss it. I will lie when it suits me so long as it doesn't cause any real damage. I will cheat on my spouse after all, given the chance he or she will do the same to me. I will procrastinate at work and do absolutely nothing one full day in every five. Right, we've kind of fallen into this trap of what we would say moral relativism, right? The belief that we're free to make up our own rules based on our own personal preferences. We have kind of a funny story that relates to this a little bit this morning. I came in this morning early and Wanda, who does our computer, we, we send her and Jeff all the stuff in advance that we want on the screens. And I'd send them a list of the commandments that I want to show. I'll show them to you here in just a few minutes. And Wanda came to me and she said, how many commandments are you going to show this morning? And I said, 10. She said, well, I only got nine in the email. So I inadvertently left one of the commandments off the list when I sent it. But I thought, wouldn't that have been interesting if the Lord had said, listen, here's 10. You pick nine, right? You pick the you get to pick one you don't want to follow, and we laugh about that. But man, we do it in real life, don't we? In fact, we probably pick two or three or four or five or six or eight or ten we don't want to follow. So we live in this world where the Ten Commandments, for a lot of people, seem a little bit more like the Ten Suggestions. And so we're going to spend some time this morning, big picture, understanding what the Lord's doing through the Ten Commandments, and then over the next many weeks, we're going to delve individually into them. Uh, specifically to understand how the Lord's speaking to us through them. So Exodus chapter 20, just two verses this morning. Two verses we're going to look at, beginning in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now there are important things I want you to notice about the Ten Commandments. The first one, maybe the most important, number one, is this is the Lord's words to us, right? The Ten Commandments are the Lord's words to us. Now, just kind of take this in just for a second. Let's not miss this truth because this is significant for us. The creator of the universe, right? The author of our salvation, the giver of every good gift, right? The most powerful being, all the things we understand about God, this God desires to speak to us. Isn't that amazing? I think we just need to kind of take that in just for a second. The the significance, the importance of the Lord speaking words to us, right? We don't serve a distant God who doesn't care. We serve an intimate, personal God that loves us so much, he gives us the words that we should live by. Now, it's interesting, when you study through Scripture, this is not the first or the last time the Lord speaks, In fact, what you see as you read through the Old Testament especially is that the Lord speaks on numerous different occasions for a lot of different things. And we can trace that all the way back to the beginning of creation. Here's what Genesis 1 says. You'll you'll be familiar with this story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, now here it is. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Can you imagine the power and the majesty and the glory of the Lord creating light just with his words? Like I I joke with the first verse, I I can't even get my kids to, to pick up their dirty clothes with my words. But God can speak the universe into existence with his, right? This same God 
loves us enough to give us his words, right? We continue with the story, Exodus chapter three, right? Moses has been wandering. He's got the, the, the sheep kind of on the other side of the desert. He comes to this bush. The Bible says it's burning, but it's not consumed. In Exodus 3, 3, Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. God speaks to us. The story of Elijah, you may remember the story of Elijah. If you never read the story of Elijah, you should read the account of him on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal and how he calls upon the name of the Lord. And, and the Bible talks about the, the, the flames of heaven just kind of destroy all of the sacrifice and the water that they had poured over. You need to go back and read that account. But the Bible talks a little bit later about Elijah in a cave listening for the Lord to speak. And here's what the Bible says in 1 Kings 19, 11. He said, this is the Lord speaking to Elijah. Elijah, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. At that still small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. He went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice from the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Right, the Lord has spoken to us. The Lord still speaks to us, right? In fact, what we read in Hebrews 1.1 is that long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right? God has given us his word, he has spoken to us through his word. Now, here's just a, a little bit of biblical knowledge, a little bit of doctrine that you ought to write down and, and understand. When the creator of the universe speaks, we should listen, right? I'm going to date myself, and I'll see how many of you are, are maybe as old or older than I am. How many of you remember the E.F. Hutton commercials? Yeah, when E.F. Hutton speaks... People listen, right? That was like, whoever came up with that marketing campaign was a genius because we still, I don't know if E.F. Hutton even exists anymore. Man, when E.F. Hutton talks, we listen, right? When the Lord speaks, we should listen because we're really good. Now watch, I'm gonna, I'm gonna offend you a little bit. We're really good at listening to our own selves, aren't we? Oh man, we got all the answers. I got it figured out for Adam. I know all the right things to do and say and how I need to live my life. And if I'm not very careful, Adam's thoughts sometimes, in my opinion, are more important than the Lord's, right? If we're being transparent and honest, sometimes we like to make our own decisions. We have to be reminded that when the Lord speaks, we listen. Why? Because his words are greater than our thoughts, right? Are more important than our thoughts, are more significant than our thoughts, right? His words, his plan, his will is better, more wonderful, greater than anything we can ever accomplish. And so we understand, listen, the Lord has given us words. He has spoken to us. But Hebrews paints this picture, and really all of the New Testament does, of this picture that's even more beautiful than that. Right? Not only has God spoken to us through his word, the Bible that we've been given, but Hebrews 1 one, two, and three say this. Long ago, I read it a minute ago, and many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, right? 
If you want to understand who the Lord is, you just look to Jesus. One writer said it like this, Christ is the full revelation of God, himself the pure light, uniting in his one person the whole spectrum, right? So let's kind of, let's logically think through this a little bit, right? God has spoken. All right, pull Exodus 20 verse 1 up again. Let's just make sure we see it. Pull Exodus 21 up. I want you to notice what the Lord says. The Lord God spoke all these words. Right, so we're getting this idea the Lord loves us enough, he cares enough about us, he has spoken to us. Well, let's make the logical jump right here, right? When the Lord speaks to us, what the Lord speaks is truth. So we've seen the Lord's words, now let's try to understand the Lord's truth. Now you probably already know this, and I've preached along these lines in the past, I don't know that I ever talked too much about it, but there is a battle for truth in our society now. Did you know that? Like what is absolute truth? That's a question. And what those of us that are maybe over the age of 40 think absolute truth is, there's a lot of people under the age of 30 that don't necessarily know if that's true or not. And there's a hundred, there's probably unlimited ways that plays itself out in so many different parts of our society. But the problem we face at the core of the situation we're dealing with right now on so many different levels is a battle for truth. What is truth? What is truth? Now, that's a question that's been asked for centuries, by the way. We're not the first group of people. We're not the first generation to question truth. In fact, I'm going to show you in a minute. It goes all the way back to the beginning. But modern truth is a little bit different than what it used to be. In fact, we've kind of changed the definition. I'm going to give you some modern thoughts about truth. If you want to know why the world is struggling on so many different levels, here's why. Because when we think about truth, for a lot of people today, they would say things like this. Truth comes from within, they would say. Your truth is different than my truth. Truth is relative. What might be true for you isn't necessarily true for me. And so we kind of come to this place where we get to make up truth for ourselves. We get to decide what's best for us, what's best for our family. And we don't really care what other people think. We don't necessarily care what the word of God says. We've come to this place in our society where we get to do what we want to do and we get to make up our own truth. And listen, when you begin to do that, when there's no foundation upon which to stand, things begin to crumble. And society begins to shift, right? And we wonder how all this got so crazy and how uh, out of kilter so many things are. It's because we've lost sight of truth. You understand that? We've lost sight of absolute truth. And so we need to be reminded that the Bible says the Lord has spoken to us. Praise the Lord he has. He's given us words And his words are truth. They're significant for us, right? But make no mistake, I don't want you to miss this. There's a battle raging for truth. In fact, our students, if you've ever spent time, we we talk about D-Now coming up and and all the kids involved from our church and other areas and and, uh, all the different people gonna be involved in leadership. It's a fantastic thing to do because our students live in a world where there's a real battle for truth in everything they see. So they come to church and they hear the truth and then they get on social media and go talk to friends and watch movies and they hear things that aren't the truth. 
And so we need to be reminded sometimes that God has spoken to us and given us truth. But I want you to notice how this battle for truth didn't just start yesterday or last month or last year. In fact, from the beginning, there's been a battle for truth. You may remember the story I read just a few minutes ago about the idea of the creation of light. God created everything, the Bible says in Genesis 1. The Bible says that it was good, and he created Adam and Eve, and he put them in the garden, and he gave them some very specific rules. And here's what God said in Genesis 2, 17, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, this is Adam, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Now, Genesis 3, the serpent enters the picture, right? Everything's good. God's created this perfect world, perfect order. Adam and Eve are in it. God is literally walking with them in the cool of the day. That's what the Bible says. Genesis 3, the serpent enters the picture. Now, Genesis 3, 1 says this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, this is to Eve, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He's already questioning the Lord. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now listen to the words of the serpent. Genesis 3, 4, this is the devil. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Right From the beginning, the enemy has been tricking us and lying to us and questioning the truth of the words that the Lord has spoken. You see that? See what's happening there? From the beginning, there's been a battle for truth. The Lord speaks to Adam and Eve. He gives them a very clear picture of who they should be and how they should live. From the beginning, the enemy questions it. Fast forward to modern day. God has spoken to us. He's given us his word. The serpent, the enemy, still questions whether or not God's telling us the truth. So we're in this battle, right? God's given us his words. God's given us his truth. Who do we turn to? You're like, I get it. I get it. I see that. I'm not quite sure what to believe sometimes. Uh, I like to watch the news. I don't know if they're telling me the truth. I read this person. I'm not sure they're telling me. What's something I can cling to and hold to to understand is truth? Well, the word of God is truth. We know that. But I want to delve a little deeper. I want you to understand just a little bit more about what the New Testament does and how the New Testament frames this idea of truth. You may remember the story of Jesus. He's arrested. Uh, he's brought in after all the uh, miraculous, incredible things he did. He's arrested. He's brought before Pilate, this Roman leader. And here's what John 18, beginning in verse 33, say about the encounter between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. But I might not be delivered over to, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. 
For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to, you want to guess, the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Hmm. See, from the beginning, the enemy has questioned, is there really truth? Did God really say? Can we actually trust his words? And so God in the Ten Commandments brings to the people this truth, his words. Here are my words. Here's my truth. Here's how I want you to live. The New Testament takes that a step farther and say, listen, not only are the words of God truth, but Jesus Christ himself doesn't just speak truth. He is truth. Right, so we see examples like John 1.14, the word, this is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. John 1.17, for the law is given through Moses, right? There's the example of Exodus. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus goes on later to say that everyone on the side of truth listens to him. There's a question you ought to be asking yourself. Who am I listening to for truth? Because I'm telling you, there's a world out there that wants to tell you a lot of things that aren't true. And and students, maybe I should talk to you just for a second. Listen, if you're listening to, to social media for your truth, you might be led astray. Parents, if you're listening to things outside of God's word, you might be led astray. If you're listening to yourself, you might be led astray, right? Who do you listen to for truth? Because the people you listen to for truth determines the choices you make, your priorities, the way you speak, the way you live. God has given us this beautiful picture of truth. This is given to us as the words of God. These words are absolute truth. Jesus is absolute truth. He's given us his word. He's given us his truth. But I want you to see one final thing about the Ten Commandments that are going to help us understand how we apply them to this world, right? Because for a lot of us, they're just kind of academic things we talk about. These are the Ten Commandments. They're the word of God. We get it. They're the the words of God. We get it. They are truth. We get it. How does that kind of apply to where I live? Now, here's the third thing I want you to see, right? We've seen the Lord's words. We've seen the Lord's truth. Number three, through the Ten Commandments, we're going to see the Lord's love. We could sum up the Ten Commandments very simply with the word love. You say, well, how do you you get there, right? So, So defend that biblically for me, Adam. How do you get to that point? Are you just making that up? Is that just something you feel? No, no, no. Jesus talks about this. In fact, you might remember in the New Testament, they're, they're always questioning Jesus. They're always trying to trip him up. They're always trying to make him look silly. And so they come and ask him usually this series of questions to try to make him say something that maybe he shouldn't say. We see this in Matthew 22. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. they come up to Jesus and they say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law, right? So they're looking back at the Old Testament. They're looking back at the law. They're looking back at the Ten Commandments. Which one is the greatest And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Right? Paul 
takes this same idea in Romans 13, 9. He says, for the commandments. He's talking specifically now about the Ten Commandments. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You want to figure out how the Ten Commandments play themselves out in your life. It's the way you love the Lord, and it's the way you love people. In fact, the Ten Commandments are broken into kind of two main areas. I want you to see those this morning, because this is kind of where we're going to be going with this study over the next few weeks. Go ahead and pull those up. So these are the first four commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. And you should keep the Sabbath and make it holy, right? The first four commandments, one, two, three, and four, all relate to the way that we interact with the Lord, all how we demonstrate our trust and our faith and our love in the Lord, right? The, the No other God, go back. No other God, the idol, the name of the Lord, the Sabbath, all those are the way that we look at the Lord and relate to him, right? Those are the first four. Beginning with the fifth commandment, now you can go, honor your father and mother, Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not covet. Now we're dealing with how we interact with people, right? First four are the Lord, the second six are people. So love the Lord, love others, right? You want to demonstrate love, then you live out these commandments, You love the Lord by worshiping him and using his name properly, right? You love your parents by honoring them. You love your spouse by being faithful. You love your neighbor by protecting their lives. You know, if you want to love somebody, then you don't steal from them, right? It's hard to love somebody that steals from you. If you want to love somebody and, and be serious about your love, you don't lie to them. Right? On and on the list goes. We, we demonstrate our love for the Lord and we demonstrate our love for others through the commandments. But here's the, the, the coolest part to me, maybe the most beautiful part of this whole thing. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and call on you individually, but in your mind, I want you to be honest. How many of you have broken at least one of the Ten Commandments? You don't have to raise your hand. Probably all of us. In fact, I know all of us. Myself included. In fact, some of you are thinking, I've broken four or five. I'm just this last week, right? (laughs) Here's the beautiful thing about the law. God gave it to us as this model of how we should live, all the while understanding we could never fulfill it. Like you can't fulfill the Ten Commandments. All of us at some point in our life have broken one of those Ten Commandments, maybe more than one. So here's what the law does. All that the Lord gave the people of Israel, the law, the Ten Commandments, all of those things led them to this place. Now, just kind of follow with me for a second. All of these things led them to this place of understanding that it was impossible for them to actually fulfill the law. And so what you see really through the rest of the Old Testament, especially the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you see the sacrifices these people had to make. Well, if you can't keep the law, which they couldn't, you have to do these sacrifices. So there's all these these examples in Leviticus especially about how they sacrifice these animals and the altars and all the things they have to do very simply in order to atone for their sins, right? So the law 
says to them, you can't really fulfill the rules and the regulations of the Lord. You need somebody that can do this for you. So even in the sinfulness that the law brought upon these people, even in the mistakes that they made, not being able to fulfill the law that the Lord had given them, we're looking ahead to Jesus. You see that? They need somebody else. They need something else. We can't do this, Lord. We can't fulfill the law. Bring us somebody who can help us. Messiah. Enters the picture, and Jesus says, listen, Adam, you can't fulfill the law. You're not perfect. You need to be punished for your sins. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to be that perfect lamb. And so even as you understand and see the failure of the law, we're pointing ahead always to Jesus, looking ahead to Messiah, longing for the day where he will one day come and take our place on the cross, bearing the punishment and the weight of the sins that we've committed. So wrapped up within the picture of the Ten Commandments is still this beautiful picture of the Lord's love for us and the sacrifice he made through Jesus Christ. Now we're about to have a time of invitation and we're gonna give you options here, right? You can stay where you are, you can pray, you can come down here, but I want you to do one of two things depending on the category you fit in here. If you've already accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, repented of your sins and followed him, I want you to pray for the person that has not. Maybe even somebody watching at home. I want you to pray for the person that's not. And if you're the person kind of in this other category that says, listen, I've heard this, I've heard these stories, I've never actually repented of my sins and trusted Christ, let this be the moment. Understand your need for forgiveness. Understand your need for a savior. Understand your need for Jesus. Repent of your sins and trust Christ. Now you can come and pray. You can come speak to me. We're going to give you a chance here in just a minute as our worship team comes on. They're going to sing. I'm going to pray. We're going to have a time of invitation. And then it's your chance to respond. Now let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the clear picture you've given us in Exodus. This beautiful picture of your law, Father, and what it means through your words and your truth and the love that you demonstrate to us. But ultimately, Father, we understand that these commandments point to our need for a Savior for Messiah, for Jesus. Lord, we can't keep the law. We can't fulfill this law. Only Jesus could. And so I pray right now for the person that's here or maybe at home that's never trusted in Christ. Let this be the moment. Let this person repent of their sins, turn from the things of the world to Christ and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, use us, encourage us, challenge us, Lord. May we sense you and hear from you, and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.